So uh, Tuesday's a public holiday, eh? Freedom Day. And what a great excuse to, to do something special. I don't know what your plans are. Uh, my family's planning a couple of things. But don't just waste the day on, on taking the day off. Um, remember what we were given quite a long time ago. Remember that we're celebrating a day where some people were able to vote for the very first time in their whole lives. Remember it's a day where some of us were able to do it for the umpteenth time. Maybe you were in those long queues on that first day. Maybe you should share that story with somebody else and tell them about it and just celebrate. But when you do that, don't forget that that political freedom we were given is only kind of symbolic of a much bigger freedom, the freedom in Jesus Christ, the eternal freedom that we are given because we are the children of Jesus Christ. And so talk about that when you have the opportunity. Share that story, not just the story of that first election that you were part of, but that first moment when you gave your life to Jesus. What a great opportunity. You'll have time because it's a public holiday, so you can do it. This morning, our our sermon is about freedom. Uh, We're starting a short two-part series on, on finances, and it's called Out of Slavery. And the first sermon isn't going to be preached by anybody on our staff. It's going to be preached by a friend of ours. His name is Josh Howerton. He's the new senior pastor at Lake Point Church, which is one of our partner churches in the States. And and you'll you'll see the context that he preaches us out of. And, And it's what's on our heart too. When you get ready to preach on money, it's not going to be about please give. It's about... God wanting to give all of us some taste of freedom from things that keep us bound. And so I want to invite you together with me to watch the screen. Here's where I am this week. We're starting a series that um, we're just calling a two-week series called Out of Slavery. Out of Slavery. And what we're doing during the series is we're just really quick, we're looking at what the Bible teaches about how to approach um, our money and our stewardship. Now, really quick, before you freak out ahead of time, let me just say this. What, what most of you are used to, you kind of start freaking out when you hear that, because you're used to, whenever there's a, a money series at a church, you're used to the whole series could really be boiled down to two words, give more. That's the whole purpose of the series, give more. And I just want to say, man, the generosity of our church, in fact, the growth in generosity in our church in the last year It's really, really been overwhelming. So that's not what this series is. In fact, I've got a deep conviction that most Christians, because they have the spirit of God in them, most Christians want to give. It's not they don't want to. It's that they're looking around and going, man, I can't. In other words, the problem is not that people are stingy. It's that people are strapped. Like, I'd love to do that. and, And I just don't know how I could do it. So this series is not about giving. It's about freedom. Uh, This is not uh, a series where we want something from you. This is a series where we and and God want something for you, and it's freedom from a slavery that you might not know exists. 
uh, in your life. Now, just to put this in perspective, how significant this issue is, um, let me show you just a couple stats uh, to put in perspective where things are in American suburbs. That's where a lot of our campuses are. So check this out. A few stats put this in perspective. Right now, in America, right now, there we go. The average American family spends 101% of their income annually. That's on average, okay? Number two, the average American household has eight credit cards. You see this? 90% of Americans don't have a budget. They have no plan about you know, where the money's gonna go and how and how we're gonna spend, how we're gonna save, how we're gonna give. Uh, the average credit card debt for an American family in America right now is $15,000, and that goes up every year. Over half of Americans couldn't cover a $400 expense without selling something in their home or borrowing, something unexpected, unexpected expense of $400. Over half couldn't do it without selling or borrowing. 30% of American adults have zero in savings. This is where we are right now. And then over half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So every month I'm just, I'm hoping the next comes in and it's enough and, and that's, that's what I'm, I'm waiting on. And all this leads to money being the number one cause of divorce in America. Number one cause. So in America, it's till debt do us part. That's what it is. Okay, now, what we wanna do for a lot of you guys, here's what this is like. I call it the messy room. Jane and I, in our old house before we moved here, we had this one room. It was kind of a room no kids lived in yet. And so whenever we had a mess, we would just throw it in that room and close the door. And then we just made it a rule. We're just not even gonna look in there. We're just gonna pretend that room doesn't exist. That's a mess. We don't go in that room. And for a lot of you guys, this area of your life, you just feel like, man, it's just such a mess. It's such a disaster. I don't ever, ever, ever wanna think about it. We wanna help you get out of that slavery. Now, on the other hand, let, let me speak to this. For some of you guys, honestly, God has wired you to be good at saving and earning money. And throughout your life, here's what you may have noticed. You're a very generous person, but what you may have noticed is God has gifted you to build wealth. You may have noticed that 10 years ago, you thought that as your, uh, your standard of living increased, you thought that your quality of life would also increase. You thought, man, as I have more, I'll have more happiness. And actually what you've noticed is, is that's not the case. And you might be going, man, I don't know why that is. I got more, I'm actually less happy, and I'm more stressed. Well, what we wanna do during this series is, is we wanna help. Again, this isn't a we want something from you. This is a, this year's been really tough on budgets. We want something for you. So here's what we're doing in this passage we're looking at today. Jesus does three things. I'm gonna tell you where I'm going, then we're gonna go there. What Jesus does in this passage is he identifies the location of the problem. The problem in your life is not where you think it is. Number two, he tells you the nature of the problem. What's actually going on? And three, he tells us like, okay, how can we get free? How can we get out of that slavery? So here we go, all right? Location of the problem, nature of the problem, how we get free. Here we go, Matthew 6. Pick up with me in verse 19. This is what Jesus says. He says, hey, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here, don't do that. Where everything kind of rots and goes away, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That, you know, that's just foolish. You know, don't do that. He says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy. Things actually last there. 
and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then he says, watch this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I just wanna say this, this is kind of skipping ahead in the message. Jesus is saying the number one indicator to show you what you love most is where your money goes. In other words, if you wanna know, it's a little bit of a challenging statement. If you wanna know what somebody really loves and really trusts, don't look at their doctrinal statement. Look at their bank statement. That's what Jesus says. Now, watch as he goes on. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if you're seeing things straight, if you're seeing the reality of how things are, your whole body is gonna be full of light. In other words, your whole life is gonna be full of joy. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now watch this. This is where we're a key part of the passage. Nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me dig in and, and talk about this really quick. And let me point this out. What's interesting about this passage is Jesus is trying to get us to live wisely with our money. But here's what's interesting about the passage. While Jesus is trying to get us to live wisely with our money, isn't it strange that he didn't say a word about budgeting strategies? Why didn't Jesus say anything you know, about income and expense ratios? Uh, while he's trying to get us to live wisely with our money, why didn't he say anything about prioritizing debt reduction? Why when Jesus is trying to get us to live wisely, he didn't talk about any of these things, he talks about something else. Well, let me zoom out really quick and here's what good Bible scholars do. Good Bible scholars is they always wanna look at general principles in the Bible and then zoom in and apply them specifically. So here's, that's what we're gonna do. If you zoom out to the entire Sermon on the Mount, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus says to you, the reason you are unable to fix any of the problems in your life is because you are constantly mislocating the root of the problem. You think the problem is in your hands. The problem is actually in your heart. Now, if you don't believe me, just track with me. If you don't believe me, I wanna show you one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. I, I really mean this. I think this might be the most misunderstood passage in the entire New Testament. Do you guys remember, it's just one chapter earlier. One chapter earlier, Jesus starts talking about the issue of lust in Matthew chapter five. And, and watch what he says when he talks about the issue of lust. He says this, he says, hey, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Now, while I'm reading this, you guys try to figure out how this passage is misinterpreted, okay? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her where in, in his heart. Now, now watch this. Jesus, he's talking about the heart, but for some reason, he changes the subject. Now watch what he says here. If your right eye causes you to stumble, says gouge it out, throw it away, all right? Now go one step further. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, how in the world, you may be on this, how in the world is that one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible? Well, here's what Jesus is doing. Remember, he starts by saying the issues in your heart. And Jesus wants you to imagine a theoretical person 
who makes a, a commitment to themselves. Here, here's what the person says. They say, I'm gonna cut off the part of me that causes me to sin. This person says, now, by the way, throughout history, people have misinterpreted this passage exactly that way. Um, the early church father Origen personally struggled with lust, read that passage and actually castrated himself. Uh, I read a book two years ago by a Bible teacher who came across a man in Minnesota who read that passage and actually amputated his hand. Now, that's not what this passage is saying. So track with me. Jesus is saying, imagine a theoretical person who goes, I'm gonna hate sin so much, I'm gonna cut off the part of me that causes me to sin. And he's a person that struggles with lust. So imagine that this person walks out and has an affair, lays his hands on a woman and goes home and says, that's it. My hand caused me to sin, I'm cutting it off, throws it away. So he cuts his hand off, throws it away. But then he walks outside and he doesn't have any hands, but he notices that he can still lust after a beautiful woman. So he goes home and he goes, my eye caused me to sin. I'm gonna gouge it out, I'm gonna throw it away. Cuts out his eyes. Well, then he walks back out into the city and he hears voices. And imagine that he, he uh, is able to lust in his mind. And so he cuts off his feet that enabled him to walk and he cuts off his ears that enabled him to hear. And imagine that every time he sins, he cuts off a new part of him that he, think is, he thinks is causing him to sin until eventually he gets so frustrated that he goes, ah, I can't seem to cut off the part of me that causes me to sin. And Jesus is saying, in order for you to do that, you're gonna have to cut out your heart because your heart is the root of every problem in your life. Now listen, Jesus saying the problem is not in what your hands touch. The problem is not in what your eyes see. The problem is in what your heart loves and trusts. And until you deal with that, your problems at the hands level, they're never going away. Now, let me apply that to the issue of money. Let me say it like this. The root of your problem is not on a spreadsheet. The root of your problem is in your chest. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, if you don't believe me, uh, I wanna show you that we have a big problem with our emotional relationship with money in our country. Uh, this week, I ran across a survey. It was, the title of the survey was The Day America Told the Truth. And it was a survey where people were anonymously asked the question, what would you do for $10 million? $10 million. Large sample size survey. People were asked this question. Here were the responses. For $10 million, 25% of people said they would abandon their entire family. Okay? Gone. Dad, mom, wife, kids, gone. $10 million. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 10% would, listen, 10% of people said they would withhold testimony in a murder trial that let a known murderer go free, $10 million. 7% of people would kill a stranger. I really hope you are not a visitor at Lake Point Church today. Really, really hope. And then 3%, 3% of people said that they would put their children up for adoption. Now, after this week being cooped up in the houses, some of you are like, I'll do that for free. I say, for $10 million, this is what people are willing to do. Why? Because the root issue of our money problems 
is not in our spending habits, it's in our heart habits. If you don't believe this applies to you, you're like, oh, those weird people in that survey. If you don't believe this applies to you, let me ask you this question. If you don't understand understand this issue, that you've got a heart issue first, then you're never gonna understand why you make a New Year's resolution every January to be more generous, and then every February, you're breaking it. You'll never understand why 10 years ago, you just knew that when uh, your standard of living went up, your quality of life would also go up, but it didn't, it went down. If you don't understand this, you will never understand why you've set new budgets 10 times in your life and you've never been able to keep them. Do you know why? Because a budget can tell you what you should do. It is powerless to give you the desire to do it. The root of the issue is in our hearts, Jesus says. Now, he doesn't just tell us where the issue is. He tells us what the nature of the issue is. Check this out in verse 24. It's it's a really interesting passage. So Jesus, he says something you might not expect in verse 24. He talks about it in terms of masters. And he says, hey, nobody can serve two masters. You just need to know this. You cannot have the number one goal of your life to be to acquire as much money as possible and the number one goal of your life to live for God with a wholehearted faithfulness as much as possible. You cannot have both of those as your greatest life's goal. You're gonna have to choose. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you'll look down at your Bibles, some of your Bible translators actually helped you interpret something really interesting in verse four by capitalizing the word money. If you are one of our, you know, our faithful KJVers, you're gonna notice your Bible doesn't say money it's a, it's a capital word. It says mammon. Here's why. Jesus, when he says money here, he says you can't serve both God and money. He uses a, a uh, it's a, a proper noun. It's a name. He uses the word mammon that was the, the name of a Semitic demon god, the god of money. Now, here's why Jesus does this. Jesus is saying that money in our hearts it can become a God, a functional God that we end up serving like a slave serves a master. Let me me put it to you this way. At the root, Jesus says, of every money problem is an idol problem. That's I-D-O-L, not I-D-L-E, although that will cause money problems too. An idol problem. Now, you you may hear that and you may be going, oh, Josh, you know, I'm not, I'm not in my living room bowing down to stacks of cash. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worshiping another God. But here's, track with me. In the Bible, an idol is anything in your life that takes the place of God. Any God substitute in your life, God says, that's an idol. Anything you love more than God. Uh, let, me, let me restate it for you. Um, When you look to anything besides God for meaning, value, significance, security, when you try to build your happiness on anything other than God, that thing becomes a functional God in your life that displaces the one true God and you end up living your life in servitude to it, not him. It always results, watch this, idolatry always results in when-then thinking. If money's your out of you, oh, when my income is this, then I'll be happy. 
When I have that big of a house, then I'll be happy. When I can drive that kind of car, then I'll be happy. When I have that job, when I have that status, then I'll be happy. Idolatry always results in when, then thinking. Let me boil it all down like this. Here's the definition of idolatry. Idolatry is looking to something created for something only the creator can give you. That's meaning, value, happiness, security, significance. And Jesus says, watch out, watch out. Because the most common species of idolatry in the human heart is the idolatry of money. Now here's how this works. I'll give you three examples. When we believe the lie that money can give us any of these three things. Number one, money can give me significance. When your income becomes your identity or your net worth becomes your self-worth, you're looking to money to give you significance. Don't think this. Don't think, never ever think, because I have a lot, I'm worth a lot. No, you're worth a lot because Jesus died for you. That's why you're worth a lot. So never ever think that. Never think, because I have a lot, I'm worth a lot. In fact, when you believe this, you end up living like Rick Warren says. You buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. That's what happens when you, money is your significance. Number two, or you look to money as your sense of security. If I have X in savings, well, then I'll be able to sleep at night. You end up trusting in savings instead of a savior. Money becomes a functional God. Or three, you look to money, you build your happiness on money. You think that your next purchase is going to result in pleasure. When you do any of those things and you look to a created thing for what only the creator can give you, it becomes a God in your life. And then you're no longer in control of your money. Your money is in control of you. That's what happens. Okay, if you won't believe Jesus, believe Andrew Carnegie. Uh, Andrew Carnegie was, uh, you know, he's the wealthiest American that ever lived in uh, the early 1900s. He founded a company called U.S. Steel. And by the age of 33, Andrew Carnegie was the, uh, like I said, the wealthiest person in America. Um, At the height of Andrew Carnegie's wealth, let me put this in perspective because none of you understand how rich Andrew Carnegie was yet. At the height of Andrew Carnegie's wealth in 1901, think about this, in 1901, his net worth was $380 million in 1901. To put that in perspective, that's $309 billion in today's money. Now, a lot of us are not processing numbers that big. So let me help you. A couple years ago, Money Magazine did a profile on the richest people in America. The three richest people in America were Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett. And their combined wealth was about $290 billion. So their combined wealth was less than Andrew Carnegie's wealth in 1901. When Andrew Carnegie was, think about this, was 33 years old, they discovered this journal entry posthumously after he died. They discovered this journal entry that he wrote when he was 33. He said that he was going to arrange his life for the rest of his life starting at age 33 where he would never receive more than $50,000 a year. And then he said this, you're gonna see it on the screen. Beyond this, he wrote, never earn. Make no effort to increase fortune, but spend the surplus each year for benevolent purposes. Cast aside business except for others. Take part in public matters, especially those connected with education and improvement of poorer classes. And then he wrote this, 
Why? Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry in the world. No idol is more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Some of you, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm the same way. I'm like that. If I engage in something, I don't have the ability not to be obsessive about it. That's how he was. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character? To continue much longer, overwhelmed by business cares, and with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. I will resign business at 35, but during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and reading systematically. He wrote that at age 33. You know what's really interesting? That's not what he did. He lived the rest of his life doing exactly what he'd been doing the entire time. Do you know why? Because he was a slave to his money. He didn't control it. It controlled him. Now, (laughs) some of you love that example because you're like, yeah, all those evil rich people, slaves to their money. Exactly. All those terrible, you know, uh, net worth people. They're the real issue. Have you guys ever noticed, this is really interesting to me, okay? Uh, There is only one sin in the Bible that Jesus says to watch out and be on your guard for. Jesus says, watch out and be on your guard for all kinds of greed. Uh, Jesus never says, watch out, be on your guard for all types of theft. He doesn't say, watch out, be on your guard for, for murder. He didn't say, watch out, be on your guard just in case you commit adultery. Nobody has ever finished committing adultery, looked next to them in bed and gone, how did you get here? No one has ever done it. Why? Jesus says, but watch out for greed. Why? Because the nature of the presence of greed is that it creates an illusion of its absence. Nobody ever thinks they're greedy. 20 almost 20 years being a pastor, people have confessed to me every imaginable sin. No one has ever, ever confessed to me, man, I think I really struggle with greed. So look at this in your life, okay? For some of you, you don't, you can be a slave to money if you're wealthy or you're poor. For some of you, here's what's going on in your life right now. Your money problems are enslaving you. Literally, some of you, your money tells you when you can sleep and when you're not allowed to sleep. Your money tells you when you can be happy and when you can't. For many of you, there are things in your life, callings God has birthed in your life, and you want to do them, but your desire and your love for money, it holds you back from doing it. Every year you watch It's a Wonderful Life, and you want to be George Bailey, and every year you're Mr. Potter. Every single year. Why? Because you don't control your money. Your money controls you. Guys, when God teaches about money in the Bible, he's not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. That's why he's doing this. God has no problem, no problem at all with his people having money or things. He hates it when money or things has his people. He hates that. Now, here's a question. How do we get out? How do we get out? Would you notice what Jesus said in this passage is he said, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. And when, when your eyes are good and you can see things straight, He says, your whole body, in other words, your whole life will be full of joy when you can just see straight. But if if you start seeing wrong, 
if money is an idol, it starts making you see things wrong. Your whole life, your whole body is gonna be full of darkness. Jesus says the way out is a perspective, okay? Here's an example for me, okay? So this, is, uh, this right here is my, my little dude, Hudson. I'm always looking for a, a reason to get my little guy on screen. So Hudson right now, Hudson's one. And let me just say this, uh, Hudson, he's got me like super, it was just me and three women until Hudson. So now he's got me like totally wrapped around, you know, uh, he's, he's got me wrapped around his little finger. Uh, and Hudson, you know, it was just me and three women. What I love about Hudson is he's all boy, all boy all the time. In fact, this is a picture of what Hudson did, I kid you not, for 15 consecutive minutes uh, on a blanket time this week. He just sat there trying to cram his face into a, a package as he just sat there and did that for 15 minutes. He, like, he's all boy. And so uh, Hudson, me and Hudson, like we're buddies right now. And like I said, what I love about Hudson is he, he's all boy. He got a Tonka truck this week for the first time. Come on. He's learning to jump out of his crib. Yeah, he's all, man. Uh, he peed in the potty for the first time last night. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And Mr. Hudson, we're getting there, bud. We're getting there. But he just got me. I mean, he's seriously just the joy of my life right now, obviously with, with my other two kids too. But you know, he's just really, he's special. Well, it wasn't always that way for me. Five years ago, when Jana approached me about adopting a third child, you know, I've mentioned before, I was not super excited about that idea. Um, and I'll be really, really honest. I've you know, never really shared this publicly before. Honestly, this was the issue that kept me from being excited about it. What I had in my head was I wanted to travel. And what I had in my head was, I had my math. Hey, right now, I'm on pace to be an empty nester by 49, and I've always wanted to travel, and maybe by the time we're 49, we'll have a little disposable income to actually be able to do that, and so I'm out on third kid. I'm out. And then what started happening is through Jana, she she just started like going, all right, God, I'm gonna pray him there whether he likes it or not. I said, I'm gonna sick him, sick him, God. You know, that's what, and so she didn't nag me. She didn't anything like that. Jana just started praying dang it. <laughs> and, uh, and God started doing a, a work in my heart. And I, there came this moment in my life where through Janice's prayer, honestly, through some words that I think were from the Holy Spirit that other people gave to me in that time, I started realizing that this was a calling that God had put in my life, but I, but I still wasn't willing to do it. And what happened in my life is God had issued a command and money had issued a command. And I had to choose between my masters. And there came a moment where I had to choose. Am I gonna obey God or am I gonna be a slave to money? And luckily we made the choice that we make, made, but, but watch this. I almost missed, if somebody today right now were to say, Josh, you either get to keep Hudson or everything you own and every dollar you'll ever make in the future, your choice, wouldn't even be a question for me. Give me my little man. Give me my, give me my little man. But for me to think, I almost missed out on one of the greatest joys of my whole life because I wanted to have a little more disposable income when I was 49. 
And now I realize it's because my eyes were bad. And I thought that things that wouldn't bring me joy would. And I couldn't see that there were some things that would bring me joy that that ended up doing that. And I had to make that choice. You see, the way you get free is you get a perspective. Let me show it to you. Let me land the plane right here. Let me do you, okay? So this uh, this is a passage at another spot in Luke in scripture, Luke chapter 12. And Jesus tells this parable, and here's what he says. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance of harvest. So profits were real, real good. And he thought to himself, what am I gonna do with all the extra? I got a whole bunch extra, what am I gonna do? And he says, I don't have any place to store all my surplus. I just feel so sorry for him, don't you? You know, I don't have any place to store all this money that that I made this year. Profits are real high. So he said, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I I, I figured it out. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down my storage facilities and I'm gonna build bigger storage facilities and that way I'll just be able to keep all my surplus. I'll just hoard it. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep the surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you've got plenty of grain. You got plenty of savings laid up for many years. And by the way, he believed a lie that a lot of times money and stuff tells us. We think that because we have a lot of stuff, we've got a lot more time. You guys, that's not true. That's not true. And then I'm gonna take life easy. I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna drink, I'm gonna be merry. I'm gonna go to Europe with Jana. <laughs> but God said to him, you fool. And by the way, God didn't say to him, you fool, because he had a lot of money. A lot of people that God blessed in the Bible had a lot of money. He said, you fool, because he didn't know what to do with the extra. This very knife, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, you're not gonna get to keep all the stuff you earned. You're not even gonna get to tell the people who get the stuff that you earned what to do with it. There's a guy named Ron Blue just said, that, said like I said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And you're not even gonna tell the people who get your stuff where it goes, right? He said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You see, it's a perspective where you focus on true riches. And guys, do you know what true riches are? True riches are taking, not everything, but a portion, a portion of what we have and invest in it and get more, more people in heaven, more people in heaven, more people in heaven, more people in heaven. And when we see things like that, it breaks the stranglehold of the slavery that money puts us in. And right now what I wanna do is uh, I, I wanna pray for you at all of our campuses. Will you bow your heads? Yeah, I, I wanna pray for you right now. And Father, right now, in the name of your son, I wanna break the lie of mammon that it has over people. We are not gonna be people who trust in money for security. We're not gonna be people who look to money to make us happy. We're not gonna let money identify us, our net worth, make it our self-worth. We're gonna look not to our savings, but to the God who saves. Yes, we're gonna be wise, but we're gonna put our hearts in things above where things do not get stolen, where they don't break down, where they can't rust and go away. 
And so Father, will you please hide our hearts in the heavenlies so we can love people and use money instead of loving money and using people. Make us those people. God, we wanna be free. (laughs) We just wanna be free to live the lives that you want us to live. Fresh air, fresh air and freedom. We love you. We pray that in the name of your son that he might be glorified. Amen and amen. As we celebrate Freedom Day this week, let's remember that being declared free and actually living free isn't always the same thing. What a great lesson we were given here, that that we are free. We're free from the fear of the future. We're free from, from money. We're free from all of those things. We have to learn how to live in that freedom. Josh said something really important. He talked about the fact that he'd been a pastor for 20-some years and nobody had ever confessed to him the sin of greed. And I was doing the maths. I'm the same as him. Nobody's ever confessed that sin to me, honestly. And I've been a pastor for 32 years. And so let's, to, let's this week thank God that he gives us this beautiful gift of money to help us to live true freedom. And so let's stand together and say thank you to God and commit to saying, God, we're going to learn these lessons. Lord God, thank you for this immense gift of freedom. Thank you for the gift of freedom from sin and death. Thank you that, that you have bought us eternal freedom. God, help us to live those freedoms, whether that be in our conversations, in our relationship with our families, in our relationships with our wallets and our bank accounts, in every relationship. Lord, thank you for giving us the freedom to be able to be transformed and to transform. Lord, we celebrate that freedom that you have given us. We celebrate it because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate it because of the love of God our Father. And we celebrate it because of the presence eternally of the Holy Spirit who is with us and in us and working through us today and tomorrow and every day as we celebrate that we are out of slavery and in the freedom of Jesus Christ our Savior and all God's people said amen God bless you have a free week